1: every second After all we promised we be cordial thank you for joining us this is kristen sonanta walker of everything ehr and your host of mental health news radio while we have guests from all over the world discussing all things mental health one of our most popular shows are the ones where we discuss the growing epidemic of the dark triad psychopathy narcissism and machiavellianism and the abuse those in contact with these personality disordered individuals suffer Today, our guests include three of the leading educators on this subject. Christine Louis de Cannonville joins us from Dublin, Ireland. She's been on our show twice before, and by the time this show airs, her book, The Three Faces of Evil, should be available for purchase via Amazon.com or her website, NarcissisticBehavior.net. Christine's educational background includes her bachelor's degree in psychology and theology. She also holds diplomas in forensic psychology, criminology, and teaching, as well as her master's in medical anthropology. Michelle Mallon also joins us from Ohio. Michelle has her master's degree in social work from Ohio State University. She worked as a medical social worker at St. Anne's Hospital, primarily on the palliative care unit for 14 years, and continues to teach in the computer science and engineering department at Ohio State University. Her understanding of narcissistic abuse came after she was emotionally abused by a psychologist. She has since made it her mission to educate clinicians about this form of abuse, including at the hands of those in their own profession. Andrea Schneider also joins us. She is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in San Dimas, California. She received her MSW from University of Michigan and her BA in psychology from UCLA. During her 20 year career, Andrea has counseled thousands of individuals and families covering a broad range of issues and challenges, developing specialties in maternal wellness, narcissistic abuse recovery, special needs parenting, and grief and loss. She is the author of many articles posted on GoodTherapy.org, of which the most popular and most commented on are those pertaining to narcissistic abuse. We are working together to bring awareness of this abuse and the term Narcissistic Victim Syndrome. NVS, into the nomenclature and clinical curriculum for anyone working within the field of mental health. We have a long road ahead of us, and today's talk is merely one episode in a series we will continue to air on this all-important topic. Well, I'm very excited that you all are on the show. Christine, Michelle, Andrea, thank you for joining us today on Mental Health News Radio.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Christine, thank you you.
3: Christine here in Dublin. So I want to say hello to everybody.
1: Yes, yes. Um, Christine is actually joining us from Dublin and I want to let everyone know that um, Miles, the therapy dog, is joining us as well. I won't ask him to bark because he looks pretty peaceful sitting here next to me, but he's here as well. So um, everyone heard the intro to the show so uh, they all know who we all are and I wanted to start with Christine, I would like you to talk about... um, I know we're not going to totally focus on your book, but I know it's such an important piece to everything that all all of us are doing. Can you tell us the name of your book and when it's coming out?
3: Okay, the name of the book is The Three Faces of Evil, um, Unmasking the Full Spectrum of Narcissistic Abuse, and it comes out next week. Wonderful! So by the end of the month, it'll actually be
1: on release. Wonderful. And all of us have read it. Michelle, I know you edited the book, correct?
2: Yes, that's correct, and I read it again. Okay, and Andrea, have you read it as well? I sure
4: have. It's a fantastic book, and it's such a wonderful addition to the literary world in understanding narcissistic abuse. So I say congratulations to Christine. It's fantastic. Well, thank you very much.
1: Absolutely, that's that's everyone counts. How many times I say absolutely? There was there's two now. Um, what I love about the book is um, much like your writing, Andrea, and the things that written, I have written that I've read that you've written, Michelle, is it breaks this down this disorder and what should be its own um, classified disorder, narcissistic victim syndrome, and where I know we're working on that. But um, it breaks it down to understandable pieces that everyone can digest and know it from a clinical perspective and also a survivor perspective. Would, would um, Andrew, what would you say about that?
4: Yes, I really enjoyed reading it. It's, <laughs> it's very readable. It's um, incredibly helpful for, for people to understand what narcissistic abuse is and then I love how uh, Christine weaves in examples from her own personal uh, life and also gives some fantastic examples and analogies. And it's very clear and understandable and readable. And I think that having that kind of information is so helpful for survivors and those that have been impacted because you need to understand what's happened to them, first of all, and, and who they're dealing with. Right. But then also that there's hope to heal. And I, I just love um Chris Christine's Christine's writing. She's just fantastic and it's an honor to read her book. And Very I know well
1: Christine being the humble Irish woman that she is is probably
4: fifty <laughs> shades of Fred
1: right now.
3: <laughs> yes, it's hard to think that you're really talking about me, I have to be honest.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a well-done book. Congratulations! It's yes. so um, digestible, and you know, I think readers are really going to benefit from it. And just, it should be required reading as well for therapists, absolutely, and, and to understand what narcissistic abuse is, um, because there really is not much written about it in um, such a tangible. Uh, way. So, you know, I think it just should be required reading for clinicians, but also for survivors as well. So I think it uh, will help both audiences tremendously.
1: And I think, Michelle, this brings me into, um, the, you know, the work that you're doing out there. I'd love to hear, you know, about this from your perspective as well and why you um, just, you know, took on the journey of editing this book.
2: You know, it's kind of interesting. I'm not really even sure how it happened. Christine, do you remember? (laughs) (laughs) Just, I think I read your your uh, chapter that you had out there on your website, and um, I do a lot of uh, grading of ethics papers for a class that I teach, and I had been in the you know in the middle of grading. Oh, I must have had. I think I had 150 students that semester writing ethics papers. And so I was already in editing mode. And I I think I read your chapter, Christine. And then I said, I gave my feedback about how much I loved it. And I said, did you, do you want me to tell you about any minor errors I found? (laughs) And you said, yeah, sure. And that just kind of evolved into me just, and I, and I love editing. So it it was kind of, it was fun because I got to read so much of what she was writing and and I felt like I was able to connect with her on a level that was even deeper than before. I just have so much respect for Christine and, and what she's doing with her journey. And,
3: of course, it was for me, it was a godsend. You were like an angel coming <laughs> at the right moment. You know, really, really. My, I mean, Michelle is too nice, but she could tell you how I, I must be dyslexic. And I must be the high end of because... <laughs> You know, I really needed her, and she did a <laughs>
2: tremendous job. No, you're not dyslexic at all. I can't even imagine just the just the scale of trying to write a book, all the things that you have to think about, and then to have it be limited in what it can say, because I think there was kind of a, you know, a certain page limit in there, and there's yeah. just so much experience in you that needs to come out to be able for you to pick and choose what things went into that book and what things didn't. I, I don't know how you did it. I, I I'm sure that was... Very difficult
1: it's a monumental task, um, yeah. and I think too, Christine, did you find that um, in writing the book because i'm I'm trying to uh, write one as well, um, did you find that it was difficult going through darker periods of your life where you were in the thick of it um, and dredging that back up in order to write about it in a way that you know was readable and relatable? Was that difficult for you, or were you well past? That time in your life? I, th- I
3: had, I think, come to terms with an awful lot by that stage of my own personal um, abuse. But my abuse wasn't only just by, I only talk about my brother, but I actually had other forms of abuse from other people as well mm-hmm. that were equally quite very difficult to handle. But um, as I researched and went through, I was finding answers to my own questions, which was very cathartic really, the whole process really was. The problem probably was more about, I was limit to, limited to a certain amount of pages with the publisher, mm-hmm. and so I had to, for everything I chose to put in, I had to choose what to leave out, mm-hmm. and that, that was kind of difficult, um, but I kind of satisfied myself and sort of more or less said, right, this will be an introduction book for everybody.
1: Right. right.
3: And then they can actually, certainly the professionals can then take what I mentioned, they want to know more, they can run and do their own research and come back and share information with me and everybody else. So that really is the way I've kind of um, taken the book. Right. But it will, will, if you're dealing with um, your own pain and it's relatively recent, you know, in the last few years, mm-hmm. and I call that recent, um, then it will it will bring up the pain, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, as long as you have good support in place.
1: Right, that's what I'm finding hard with my own, is it's very fresh, as you all already know my story, but um, it's very fresh for me, just a year of uh, of no contact. So I'm a baby in this and I want to bring up one of the listeners, um, shared with me, you know, it's been six weeks. I should be over this already. And I said, Oh my Lord, honey, give yourself two months for every month. You knew the person that's how long it can take to heal from this. And you know, that, that helped her a lot. Put that into perspective. Six weeks. You're at the very beginning.
2: Yeah. Uh, but you don't but, know that when you're at the very beginning. When you're uh, yes. when you're six weeks in it seems like it's a long time and I think there's so much healing that you can't really recognize until after you've gone further and you can look back and see how far you've come.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's eight times now, sorry. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and the, of course, I totally agree. The, of course the abuse is on different levels of the self as well. Yes. So you might you might reach one immediately, but you may not reach another level for quite some time. So I think it's an ongoing process for for many people.
1: It is, and I think you, uh, this is Kristen, by the way, I think you, I don't want anyone to, to, uh, if someone had said to me in the very beginning, oh my god, I'm going to be dealing with this for every month, you know, two months for every month, I knew that person. It almost seems like I don't want any more pain. I've had enough already. That's way too monumental a task. I just want this pain to stop now. And what I say to that is the journey is so worth it. You will have the most incredible, deep, real, lifetime friendships that you have ever experienced, by going through this journey, um, you'll have the most success in your career, the most love in your life, all of those things that you were trying to get from the narcissist who promised this to you and didn't give it on purpose. um, You do get that by taking this journey of, of becoming, you know, going from victim to survivor to what I call thriver.
4: I couldn't agree more. Right on, Kristen. Um, this is Andrea, and you know that process of healing. It's like there's some silver linings in the dark cloud, and there's so much life wisdom that survivors and thrivers obtain. And I think um, you know, Kristen's Christine. I'm sorry, Christine's book is fantastic in in that it helps survivors understand what's happened to them, and that really jump-starts their healing. It really jump-starts their healing in terms of understanding. and a fantastic primer to wrap your head around what's occurred, um, and that information is empowerment. So uh, Christine's book is, is just a wonderful contribution for people in the healing process, and um, I'm just really excited that it's, it's out there now, and I think it's going to help so many people.
2: And if I could add to that, this is Michelle, I have seen on my own, like on my Facebook forum, a lot of survivors who say, you know, it's been a year, it's been five years, it's been ten years that I've been out of this relationship and I'm still healing. And when I ask, you know, a few more questions about how far into that process did they learn what narcissistic abuse was, that's been more recently than the last time they've had contact with the person who harmed them. I think sometimes Survivors look at the length of time that it's been since they've had contact with their abuser as being all of that being uh, Healing time, but but really until you've gotten those pieces that information those pieces of the puzzle to put together to help make sense of what happened That's not that's not healing time. That's just time that you've kind of been Spinning your wheels trying to make sense out of things and so I think for for many survivors helping them to understand exactly at what point Their their pain and agony after the abuse became the healing journey is different.
1: Thank you, Michelle. You are so right on because I'm counting the moment that I knew what narcissism was right along, and that happened right about just about a month after I went officially, you know, what I consider no contact. I had been on a journey long before then and been to many therapists and many. Spiritual, quote unquote. I'll put quotes around that because it was it was actually damaging to me. Um, I went to many therapists that had no clue what they were doing. Actually, uh, put you know, res- forced me into retreat on on in healing because they um, just did everything wrong that you could possibly say to someone going through this. And it wasn't until I read Andrea's articles on good therapy. Is it goodtherapy dot org, Andrea? Yes, yes, it is. So I read Andrea's articles on GoodTherapy.org and went, oh, my gosh, I just learned Chinese in five minutes. This is unreal.
2: That's how so many survivors finally learn what this is. So many people stumble on something. They're searching for answers. They just know that what they've been through isn't the normal breakup. It's not Mm -hmm. a normal Kind of into a relationship and they're searching and searching and and I mean if you look at the comments under a lot of Andrea's articles you'll see so many of the same you know, things being written by by people there oh my gosh I can't believe this sounds exactly like what I've been through it's, for so many it's a matter of stumbling across the right information and that's where the healing starts to begin
3: right well, Chris sure. Christine here I I'd like to come in on this one because I think you're all fantastic it took me 60, 60 years to discover the term <laughs> narcissism. <laughs> I'm not joking, that's the truth and I have been a therapist for quite a few years and even there I never learnt it and through all of my own, um, you know, as a therapist training you have to do your own journey, never ever was it mentioned and certainly not psychopathic abuse was ever mentioned. So. You you know, everybody, the consciousness is raising it. This is the most astounding thing for me, how now people are actually contacting me. I get many, many emails, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. and people are actually contacting me and saying, I am the victim of narcissistic abuse, where, generally speaking, I don't think people would come into the therapy room and say, I think I am a victim of narcissistic abuse. Right. I never heard it in all the years I, I, and I worked in a psychiatric hospital. I never heard those terms being used. So I think we're really at a time of heightened consciousness. I think it, the timing is now right for this as a, a subject, and of course it needs to be the right time. We're in an of epidemic.
1: Of course, yeah. mm-hmm. Correct. There's a a pandemic. It's been going on for a long time, and I'll give you an example. There's a a writer out there um, that's got a a really large following on Facebook, um, and she's now been posting on LinkedIn, and there was um, a PhD that came on and uh, made some comments about how we need to he pulled in some articles about how, you know, some people are being unfairly labeled as narcissist and it's just got to stop. And my reaction to that was so visceral, I, I immediately wrote, Okay, you may be right about that. However, just like in the early eighties when child abuse was not okay to talk about yet, childhood sexual abuse, I, I started talking about it just before it became okay to talk about it. And, um, and then all of a sudden everybody could talk about it. It was out of the closet and, and it was, there was awareness everywhere. That's where we're at with, with narcissistic abuse. It's just now okay to talk about it. So I said to him, please wait and post these articles in a year or two. Don't do it now because you're doing a disservice to, you know, what this movement that's going on. Don't start, you know, putting this down quite yet. We'll get to that later because of course there's some truth to that but um, and it's usually a narcissist who's saying that someone else is a narcissist as we all know but um, but anyway I just I felt like oof, don't don't try to stop this express train quite yet.
2: Well and and this is Michelle but you know you think about if, if even though there there may be some false positives you know people saying that that, that someone was a narcissist and they're not even even though that that can happen, that's not a reason for us not to talk about it. Exactly. It's not a reason for us to cut down the communication and stop it. Absolutely. Uh, this is Andrea.
4: I completely agree with what you're saying, and you know, it's I think we just need to get the word out. And I think it's great that people like Michelle are, you know writing about it also in in her Facebook um, link there and advocating so arduously for more awareness for clinicians to really be trained in this area, so I think it's, uh, it's a force to be reckoned with, this uh, grassroots approach yes. that uh, the word is getting out, and whether it's online or whether it's in, a, in uh, Christine's book, I think it's, it's so important that uh, the word continues to get out, that the definition of what narcissistic abuse is is disseminated and distributed so people know what's happened, and then they can be linked with qualified people that can help them. As well, well, Andrea, so,
2: Andrea, I was just wondering, you know, when Christine was talking about how this was not, you know, narcissistic abuse was not something that she had learned about in her own professional training, it wasn't anything that that was talked about in my professional training either. At my master's in yeah. social work. How about you? Likewise. Likewise, it, it, I had never heard of it. <laughs>
4: actually, it was about yeah. long after I had graduated from uh, graduate school, and actually started to notice that some of my clients in private practice were coming in with symptoms of depression, anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress, complex post-traumatic stress, and uncovering some of the circumstances that maybe feel that. And a lot of the the common thread was. Um, having some toxic relationships with narcissists or psychopaths, for that matter, and so that was unearthed in what I found in, in my own practice. But then I see it all over the place. <laughs> I'm in <laughs> uh-huh. LA. the hotbed of narcissism out here, and. Um, You see it in Hollywood, you see it with the superficiality of of Hollywood, but then you also see it in the workplace, Mm -hmm. different work settings, um, and I'm sure obviously Kristen speaks to this, um, you know, narcissism in the workplace. Um, You see it in families, and you see it in love relationships, in, in all domains, so it's unfortunately quite pandemic. But absolutely, I did not know anything about it in grad school and so I think it is something that that needs to be brought into the curriculum of uh, teaching clinicians so that we all can help people. Before
3: coming on, I went to look at my Google Analytics to see how many different (laughs) countries um, had contacted me and 199 different countries people have contacted me from. I don't know how many countries are in the world, but um, I'm, I'm, googling, it right I'm <laughs> googling it right now, I'm googling it right now, but when I looked at the map, because the, the Google analytic map, you can see it, there was hardly any spaces that people hadn't contacted me, right. now I say that from the point of view, not about my site, but from how widespread this is, it's mm-hmm. in every it's everywhere.
1: Okay, so so let me just point this out. I just googled how many countries are in the world. So, official countries. Guess oh, I won't even make you guess. There are officially 196 countries in the world. So, that means Christine that your that your site has touched every single country on earth.
3: Well, I know that there's a few there's a few places it hasn't. So, there must be, you know, with the changing of everything people Countries that were never countries are given mm-hmm. names now, so right. there may be there may be more, but 199. So maybe say there's 210 countries right. in the world. It still shows you how widespread this is.
1: And I'll I'll say this just you know I I started this radio because it was radio show because uh, I just love to hear myself talk. No, I'm kidding. That is kind of true. Yeah. But I I wanted to talk about all things mental health, and then it just took on a life of its own. And we have other guests, too, that come on the show, CEOs of companies and, you know, all these interesting things all related to mental health, the thing that I love. And the shows that get thousands, (laughs) thousands upon thousands upon thousands of downloads every single week are all the shows that we do. A narcissism. So, um, I, I, I'm <laughs> that that I already knew that it was a popular topic. But after that first show with Christine, and every week I would look at the numbers and and realize. And I started getting the my own flood of emails coming in um, about the show. Uh, it just became a life of its own. And it's not. Go- I'm certainly not going to stop talking about it. And I know none of you are either.
2: Well, I, I wonder. And this is Michelle talking here. I wonder. If you've noticed, if you look at Andrea's articles on Good Therapy, she has hundreds of comments posted Mm -hmm. after her articles. And I went one day, and you can kind of get the analytics of the other articles on Good Therapy there, and just look at the numbers of comments that get posted after those articles. And, I mean, we're talking maybe 10 at the most. I think there might have been one that was 20 or 25. Comments these are all the other categories of articles and right. areas. areas and, and poor Andrea, you know, she can't keep up with all of the comments I, I think there have even been a few people comment there that they felt like she wasn't responding back to them quickly right. enough and and that's got to be heartbreaking because in that matter and in, in that fact she's set up to fail There are just so many comments just there on one of her articles I mean several hundred and I think she has is it six articles now on narcissistic abuse Andrea? You
4: know what? I've lost track. I think it's approaching eight or so, and and there's more. Um, but you know, and I'm so appreciative to Michelle as well. She's she's been so helpful in helping me to respond to all these comments, <laughs> and you know, and it it, it really just shows that there is such a need out there. And yeah. she she also has a fantastic. Um, survivor forum that she's uh, moderating and on Facebook and yes truly an advocate so you know I'm so appreciative of the three of you and with everything that you're doing and you know whether it's writing or advocacy or blogging or whatever it may be the three of you are just amazing so (laughs) it's just an honor to hear your voices too
2: but that shows the need I mean if I when I looked at the number of you know responses that Andrea was getting just on her articles about narcissistic abuse, that said so much. And and if you look yes. at the content of those messages and the desperation, yes. mm-hmm. many of the messages of I can't find someone to help me. You know, I know what mm-hmm. this is now, but I can't find anyone to help guide me through the healing process. It's it's really heartbreaking to see how widespread it is, and yet it's so yeah. difficult for people to get help.
1: And I want to point, I want yes. to say this. We we all get um we all get emails, tons of emails. I know Christine, you were saying you were trying to answer them before we even did the show today, and um, I'm starting to get them. Well, I've been getting them, but now they're even more and more and more. So, hello at everythingehr.com. Um, everyone can email that, and uh, we're going to all. Everyone else is going to give their emails at the end of the show as well. But I promise you, if anyone emails that, I'll get you to the right person. Someone emailed me and said, well, I needed a therapist in New York City. I work with nothing but behavioral health providers uh, now all over the world. Someone needed a, a therapist in Italy. I sent them to Dr. Paolo Molino, who I'd interviewed on the show. I mean, I can email Christine. Where in Ireland uh, or in England or wherever, Andrea, please help me. I need someone in L.A., Um, Michelle, I need someone in Ohio. So we have this network now of an all-points bulletin that goes out to find you someone, a therapist that knows this language, because if they don't know this language, I don't know how... um, they're, it's going to take longer for them to be able to help you, in my opinion, and I also believe that some of the sites that are out there with people that aren't clinicians, uh, I won't name them, uh, I will at some point because that's just how I do things, but... Um, that are not helpful, that are not helping people. They are victim-shaming websites guised as mm. we are here to empower you, and they do nothing but put you back to square one in many ways because they tell you that there's something wrong with you, the victim, that you were targeted, and that is BS. I'm here to say that right now. Michelle and Andrea and Christine, I know you'll have your own thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, the sad Absolutely. thing is for many for many people, these these are the only sites out there where where some survivors know to get help. Um, And so if you don't know, if you're not able to find a mental health professional who is experienced with healing with this kind of abuse, and all you can find is is a a website that has someone who speaks some of the things that you need for healing uh, and then some of the other things that they say aren't accurate, you don't know that as a survivor. You don't. You don't realize you're being misled. And so, until this becomes something that's recognized by the mental health profession, you're going to continue to see yes. guru people popping up who may or may not know what they're doing, trying to lead other people out of out of this hellish nightmare. Right. I agree with you, Michelle. And this is Andrea. I, I've seen some harm
4: absolutely happen um, where people who claim to Know clinically what's going on with a survivor actually cause more harm than good, just as Kristen mentioned with victim shaming and blaming. And I think it's, it's critical for survivors to have a trained clinician who, who understands psychologically what's going on with their client, um, whether they're doing telehealth on the phone um, in their state or whether it becomes a life coaching relationship.
0: Right. Um,
4: it, you really need to have clinical training to really understand it and um, to, to know how to guide people. And in some circumstances, and in many circumstances, survivors need an in-person therapist to really work with them through uh, the complex post-traumatic stress. And, and that can be uh, treated through EMDR, that can be treated, are treated through other trauma-informed Um, sort of interventions, but um, to uh, put on or hang out a shingle and claim to know how to manage that um, without the training can cause harm, and I've seen that happen with a lot of, lot of folks.
0: See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Uh,
3: Christine here. Um, One of the things that has worried me, really, the book that I've written is actually all about the perpetrator. But I do intend writing very quickly um, the follow-up, which will be around the victim and what happens to the victim with this kind of abuse. But what does concern me is... um, Therapists do not understand narcissistic victim syndrome. Mm -hmm. They don't know the signs and the cluster of symptoms that emerge when you're working with someone, so they don't know what to look for. And unfortunately, and I I don't think for one moment it's badness on anybody's part, but unfortunately, victims are being misdiagnosed by health professionals and they're they're being diagnosed with having borderline personality disorder. And that's a travesty because I have seen um the fallout of that happening. I, I know of two people that were diagnosed personally and they actually lost their children to the narcissist uh, partner. Uh, Oh my and um, mm-hmm. so I know of those. I know of those personally. So how many is it happening to? And I'm I'm not quite sure what the cause of that is. Partly because people, therapists don't know what to look for when they're looking at uh, narcissistic victim syndrome, and because okay. they don't even they don't really. It's not an accepted term anyway. But um, also they don't seem to be able to really differentiate between complex post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Borderline personality and mm-hmm. um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and I think that that is where the problem actually lies. I agree. This is Michelle. Yeah. I
2: agree.
3: Okay. Thank you. And
4: Andrea too. I agree.
1: <laughs> and as a yeah. as a non-clinician, the, on, the only one here that's a um, a non-clinician, but someone with a big mouth. Um, <laughs> end up doing a show with three highly skilled clinicians. Um, I would say, you know, luckily I've had the experience of being in and out of therapy. I've been a great consumer since I was about 12 uh, for various reasons that I've shared on the show. I have no problem, you know, talking about all my trials and tribulations in life, but Um, It's not a dialogue I've ever, ever, ever heard until I was in my 40s. um, And it was certainly after I brought it up because of reading Andrea's articles. And then the the psychiatrist that I work with went, oh, yeah, yeah, that is a a problem. And I thought, well, why the hell didn't you tell me that (laughs) when I first met you? (laughs) Oh, so, so <laughs> we could have saved so much time. I'm a Googler. I would have Googled it seven months ago, um, and oh. it's that much further along. But um, oh. it's, oh, I, I, I see that, and it's a slippery slope um, in terms of. It's no no way my place ever to diagnose anyone ever. I'm not a clinician, like I said, but and yet I work in the business world and I go in and out of behavioral health organizations constantly and I go in and out of businesses constantly. And so my experience comes largely from the workplace and watching people um, being sabotaged and abused and bullied and harassed um, at work and Watching what happens, and I can see where these diagnoses come from, from someone who's a clinician that doesn't know what NVS is, narcissistic victim syndrome, um, saying, because when by the time you see someone come to sit in your chair, I'm thinking of me, I was paranoid, I was depressed, I um, had suicidal thoughts, I... Uh, thought that I was the narcissist, and I definitely want to get into that. I think this is a good bridge into that topic that we've all been emailing about back and forth this week. Um, just so everyone knows, when four of us have this constant loop of, of emails back and forth, we'll riff off of something, and shouldn't we do it? We are constantly studying this. And while being good, um, in. Uh, uh, empowerers by saying, okay, Kristen, you're going down a rabbit hole. I know no one has said that, but I know when I'm doing it, maybe you should take a break from reading about this stuff for a bit. You know, we all do that for each other, but um, just from a diagnostic standpoint, when someone shows up and they're in the throes of it, they absolutely believe, especially if you're highly empathic, that, and they've been told to believe that they're the abuser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if if we can go Christine, Michelle, Andrea, can we talk about about that phenomenon of the victim showing up believing that they are actually the the abuser and how that happens? Sure. Um okay, Christine here. I have to say
3: most people don't come into me saying that. Most people don't come into me saying I am the victim of a narcissist. They come in because their life is not actually working at some level. And as the story unfolds, because I would be very aware of the behaviors of a narcissist, of the the dark triad, which is the full spectrum, Mm -hmm. um, I would be just hanging things up in my little head or making mental notes. And as the story unfolds, you're left with no doubt whether what you're dealing with. If you are, de- you know, you may not be dealing with it, but you will know that you are because there'll be so many uh, symptoms brought up. But um, there sometimes does come a time when, during the work where the uh, victim will voice that, that maybe, maybe it's them, maybe, they've, maybe it's all them. Um maybe they're the narcissist after all. Mm-hmm. Because by this time, because a big part, I think, if you're going to be working with, with these clients, I think it's really vitally important that you understand because education is part of the recovery. Mm-hmm. Without the education, you won't get a full recovery. No matter how much great work you do, you won't give them everything unless they can actually see what's happened to them, how it's happened to them, why it's happened to them, and give them back their power that actually they have maybe been doing some things themselves that has helped to attract this to them. And I I certainly would hold my hands up that that's how I was victimized four Mm -hmm. times because I was far too passive, far too pleasing. Um, All of the defenses that I had learned through growing up with a psychopathic brother I carried out into the world. I didn't even know that I had developed these um, defense mechanisms. And where they had worked and literally kept me alive, literally, mm-hmm. I mean that, um, I had no idea that I actually was operating out of them. So mm-hmm. when I'm working with people, I actually also – and I love the defense mechanisms. I I, I hail them. God, they save but you. They save you. They Death. Literal death, yes. But there also comes a time where you have to look at those defences and see are they serving the individual now? And does that individual as an adult really need them now at this stage of their life? Mm -hmm. And that's where they can bring around the changes. Like one of the big things in me was um, I'm a giver, not a taker. And I might even have seen that there was good in that, actually. Um, But... Of course, the narcissist is the opposite. They're the taker and not the giver. So between us, we made two sides of this, of, of a coin, mm-hmm. basically. So I had to learn how to, and it sounds like a silly thing, but I had to learn how to give a little and wait to receive a little bit back. <laughs> and, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but I actually, and I found that quite difficult because my instinct was to just give, give, give. Mm-hmm. And so to balance all of that up, I had to learn to receive as well and, of course, give the other person the gift of the joy of giving to me, which I was um, robbing them of that joy,
4: mm-hmm. which
3: I didn't realize. But um, So that there's, unless you understand the behaviors of the dark, dark triad, you're not going to be able to educate the client in front of you that they take back their power that they honor their defense mechanisms, but they can also choose which ones they want to keep and which ones they want to change, because this is the real area of healing as far as I'm concerned. Wonderful. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, absolutely. Michelle, do you want to add to that or your own bend on that?
2: Sure. I kind of think back to um, how I looked after the, the worst bout of narcissistic abuse that I had gone through. And I I think about how utterly confused I was. I really couldn't even identify what it was I had been through um, to even be able to explain it to someone else because there were so many different pieces of it that just made absolutely no sense. And I realize as survivors reach out to me, uh, they're usually reaching out kind of from that same place, being utterly confused about what they've been through. Uh, And oftentimes uh, they want to believe that, maybe the fault lies with them. Maybe there's something more that they could do that could fix this relationship. Um, And I don't know how much of that is because of maybe their own personal um, desire to be, just like Christine was saying, the kind of person who's a giver. It seems to me that a lot of survivors I've talked with, they're also givers. They're also people who um, are very uh, willing to give everything they have to a relationship. They're open, honest. They're just really down deep, really good people, <laughs> and I don't know how much of that, um, you know, that giving is, is, you know, from, from the kind of person that they are, um, I, 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 just don't know for sure, but it, it seems to me that in the aftermath of narcissistic abuse, it's almost like you're dealing with someone who has lost their identity, that they, they really don't know who they are anymore, and um, I have had people reach out to me and say, I think I might be the narcissist. Uh, And they've been told that too. Oftentimes, the survivors have been told by the person who's harming them that they're the narcissist. And so uh, there's a lot of confusion, I think, with survivors and even figuring out what part of what happened to them is their responsibility and what part isn't. And I really, Christine, I think, hit the nail on the head with with understanding that dark triad until you realize, until you understand that there are people in the world who, who lack empathy. They lack the ability to to feel things, uh, they lack any remorse. They they don't really have a conscience. Until you understand that there are people who, who are like that, um, you're going to continue to spin your wheels, thinking, "What did I do right. to to kind of make this relationship fall apart?" When it turns out, th- there's a whole lot more to what happened to you that you haven't even you haven't even begun to understand yet. And that's why her book, I think, is going to be so important to so many people. And I, I
1: just want to add before we go to Andrea that these are not movie characters like Christian Bale in American Psychopath. And we're talking about everyday people, the small business owner in the small town that lives behind a white picket fence, the uh, neighbor, the postal worker, the person that you sit next to at work, your mother, your brother, your, you know, these, these are every day, your everyday psychopath, their everyday personality disordered person. So I, I just had to point that out. Um, we tend to shove it into this. Oh, <gasps> we don't want to talk about that because they're a knife-wielding freak that's going to come stab you. No, no, no. They're not a knife-wielding freak many times. They're They're a a lot less
2: spectacular than that.
1: Exactly. Ordinary people. Yep, exactly. Including your best friend. Exactly. And uh, Andrea, your thoughts?
4: Oh, I just think you have such right-on, targeted things to say. It just makes complete sense. And you're absolutely right, both, all of you, um, you know, people need to have that education to understand what they've been dealing with. And um, Christine lays it out absolutely clearly in her book about the dark triad and how narcissism is at the core, but then it's on a continuum. At the far end, you're dealing with potentially a psychopath. Um, and yet, as you've said, it's not like you're going to know obviously that this person has these qualities. There's this facade, and there's this ability to infiltrate public life and look quote-unquote normal on mm-hmm. the outside, but underneath is a very dangerous person. So it's you know you can just encounter these folks at work, in your your home life, in your love relationships. And it's hard to fathom that people like this exist, but they do, and unless you've had that experience, it's really hard to fathom that. But to go back to the original question, um you know when clients come to me with these particular concerns, oftentimes they don't know that they have um, encountered a narcissist or a psychopath and You know, maybe they're presenting with depression, anxiety, PTSD symptoms, but after further digging and excavating the issues, we find that there is the common thread of narcissistic abuse. There's a toxic relationship in there, whether it's with a parent, a lover, um, a a psychopathic boss, and it's, it's amazing how common this is. So a lot of people present with what we call cognitive dissonance, and they're confused because uh, the, the client has received so many projections and shame and blame dumping from their perpetrator that they are the narcissist or that they're the one that's quote-unquote crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've absorbed this over time, um, and they think that they're the one that that is the problem. Um, they've been abused emotionally and then sometimes some cases physically, uh, sexually, but oftentimes it's very covert emotional abuse where they absorb the projections of the narcissist and they believe that they're the one that is the crazy one. And a lot of the recovery is dismantling that cognitive dissonance and trying to synthesize what really is the reality of the situation. Um, and it's it's very challenging. It's It's quite a journey for most survivors and yet it's very possible
1: yes
3: and alongside christine here alongside with the cognitive dissidence a big one would be the gaslighting
2: mm-hmm. letting them
3: yeah. fully let them fully understand how the gaslighting is actually affecting them how it is causing them to be confused and to doubt their own memories to doubt their intuition not to be able to trust your own self is the worst thing in the world
4: mm mm-hmm. And yes.
3: that is a big piece of the work that a therapist needs. So the therapist needs to understand the gaslighting behavior in the first place. Otherwise, how will you pick up on it as the person talks?
1: And that where this comes from, this is Kristen, um, is that this person enjoys gaslighting. They are enjoying, they are taking sick pleasure in tormenting another person emotionally. That's and awesome.
2: and then Michelle here. If you think about, um, you know, most of us who are, who are survivors, um, we wouldn't ever treat another person like that. That's not really right. within not knowingly, right? Yeah, you know, we would. In fact, it, it, just the thought that we might accidentally harm someone brings us a lot of, you know, upset feelings. We we would want to immediately try to to fix that. And so we don't. I I don't think until we actually come and learn about all of these definitions of of gaslighting and the the kinds of people who do this, we really don't believe there are people in the world who are like that. And so I think until someone shows us and tells us, look, there are people like this, I think we will continue to kind of wander trying to make sense out of something without really the full ability to make sense out of it.
1: Yes, the walking wounded.
2: And Christine
3: here, uh, just to add to that, because they're great point you're making that as a therapist as the story unfolds and you come to recognize the gaslighting behavior and you're you know the the your client won't know it at the time you actually will be getting at that point an idea that you're dealing now with a, with a malignant narcissist mm-hmm. because this is when this is um, uh, this is the machiavellian behavior of the malignant narcissists at work and this is the gaslighting comes into play when the devaluing stage begins prior to that it's not there prior to that it you you're with your soulmate your nothing is wrong it's 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 a dream world with someone that you're totally comfortable with but at some point the gaslighting comes in and now you can be sure that actually you are um you know, that's when the devaluing has begun. Right. And that can go on over a long period of time. It doesn't mean it'll start and end in a couple of weeks. It can go on for years. Right. But they take pleasure out of it. There is pleasure. It's sadistic. And with the malignant narcissist, you are getting this sadistic antisocial behavior that is not there in the common garden narcissist.
1: Right, and again, you know, when we say antisocial, that people think of, um, survivors think of, um, oh, this is someone that doesn't have any friends, they're a loner, uh, you can tell because they're antisocial. That's not true. This is someone that can look like they are uh, Richie Cunningham walking the streets, um, you know, the most innocent um, little lamb. Uh, with tons of friends and wonderful family life and so on and so on. And they're actually um, someone that takes quite distinct pleasure in emotionally um, torturing other people. And believe me, when when you sit in front of one of these people and you know what you're looking at and you watch that smile that comes across their face when they are admitting they're letting the mask down and they're giving you a glimpse into who they really are, um, it's, it's
2: frightening.
1: It's frightening. It's frightening.
2: Yeah. Well, and I was going to add something to what Christine said. You know, if you think about, um, that, that phase of where you're, the idealization, idealization phase where the person, the abusers kind of puts you on a pedestal and they're, mm-hmm. they're they feel like your soulmate and they, they're doing all the right things to kind of lure you in that a kind of predatory behavior. Um, I think for most survivors we also don't really believe that there are people who would put that level of deceit into getting someone to trust you and and to appear that you are a wonderful caring person and then to later learn that there are people who spend a significant amount of time really preying on other people in this way and I think for survivors another aspect of this is just when the abusive you know the devaluation stage starts I think we kind of get stuck thinking that the good person we saw is the real person that's in there, mm-hmm. and we want very much to try to bring that person back, not realizing that person never existed to begin with. That was all part yeah. of that, that predatory uh, stage. And, and, and until we start to realize there are people like this, um, it, healing can't begin. Right. But, but it's, it's, even, it's even a little bit more sinister
3: because you'll get the gaslighting behavior come in, but in between, you'll get the person acting like they were in the first stages as well so it's not that it—you know it's all good in the idealization stage and then you go into the devalu- devaluation stage and then it's all bad it isn't. You'll still get that intermittent good and bad behaviors coming in and right. that's what creates the Stockholm syndrome or the trauma bonding. It is the fact that there is this intermittent good and bad behavior that actually is so confusing and creates the bond, um, you know, of the narcissistic captor. So, again, therapists have got to understand all of that. So, the gaslighting will cut you to shreds, but in between, they're telling you how wonderful you are and you're the right. best ever. And so, you know, you—it's it, insidious behavior. It really is. I think and that's right on. And I would hope hope that, you know, like, who is my book for? My book really, how it actually got written was quite accidentally. I had several people writing to me saying they were researching, they they gathered they had been in a narcissistic relationship, but they were reading lots of research and some people spoke about the narcissus, some spoke of the malignant, and some spoke of the psychopath. so how would they know which one were they with? Mm-hmm. So I tried you know it didn't occur to me that this was going to trigger me to write a book, not at all. I actually went in search of a book that actually was already written that would explain all of this to me as well as everybody else, um, but I couldn't find one and um, so basically that's how this book really was born, I decided, right, let's just write it simply and easily as I I can. Not so simply that therapists will not want to read it either. I tried to pitch it that everybody could read it, Mm -hmm. but that we could see this movement from one stage to the other stage. And I was also interested myself to know what was the difference. Even I didn't know that at that time either. So... I hope that this book really is, will be picked up by people who have experienced this kind of abuse. That they, because I hope that they will get some answers that maybe they haven't had before, and can may- maybe then bring that into the therapy room if that's where they are. I would hope that therapists would read it so they can get a good, a, a good primer to this subject, and they can take their. Research much much further, of course, uh, but I hope actually it's for other people too because, you know, we it is increasing. We all need to know it, and I would love people to understand that when you do meet somebody who's really really nice to you, it could be that they just are your soulmate, that they just could be your best friend. Right. But you, if you're aware of this. Title and what it means, you will be able to notice in that idealization stage, if you're getting any alarm bells go off, watch how they treat other people. Mm -hmm. They take you to a lovely restaurant, but they're actually quite rude to the waiter. And the reason they do that is that they look in their world as only inferior and superior people. They've no time for the inferior people. Um so they treat them badly, but you can witness that. You don't have to be that person experiencing, but you can actually get warning signs along the way that is beginning, you know, their their little mask is, slap, is uh, slipping. Mm-hmm. And if there's too many um, little red flags going up before you do get hooked. It might be time to end the relationship and move on knowing, well, that was nice as long as it lasted, and
1: <laughs> and, and you, you just get out and don't become hooked. Oh, and thank God for Christine. I'll say this. Everyone loves personal stories, so I was in one last year. I got right out of one and then went right into another one. I've talked about that on, on other shows, and it was a business relationship, and I had 18,000 red flags that I did not listen to, but I had this language. And Andrea actually emailed me and said, you know, you might want to be careful because a lot of times people get out of the big one where that kind of brings you to your knees and they end up right, uh, you know, in another one. So um, I I did that. And then I emailed Christine and said, here are the things that are going on. And she within three seconds replied and said, I'm malignant narcissist, get out now. And I went, okay, how can I do this? And I followed the gray rock method. Um, which I have posted on my site and I did all the things that I have got no money. I, my credit's bad. I'm a horrible business owner. No one would want to do business with me and blah, blah, blah. And was able to get out of that, you know, very easily. But I had warrior women on my side at that point, And a lot of people don't you know are still in a place where they don't have those kind of um, relationships so thank you christine and andrea and michelle um because you've been such a part of my healing journey
4: <laughs> oh, it's an honor and this is andrea and and Kristen. you have a phd in life wisdom you absolutely do and you're so eloquent and i'm just thrilled to be able to be connected with you three women and learning i think we teach what we need to learn and right. um wisdom is so powerful it's it's just such an honor to to be connected with you.
2: Well, and this is I, Michelle. You know. This is Michelle here and I can definitely say that I have yet to find anyone who really fully understands everything that there is about narcissistic abuse and I'm learning every single day and, mm-hmm. and from each and every one of you you've taught me a lot and I'm I'm sure that's going to continue. I'm very grateful for it. Likewise. And I would
3: like to say I would not have done all I've done without you three ladies. <laughs> and I mean I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Michelle, thank you so much for your patience and your kindness and your knowledge to actually, you know, put the book that was dressed well enough to go out there in the world.
2: It was an honor uh, and a pleasure.
3: <laughs> well, thank you very much. To Andrea, your your knowledge is greater than mine. You are much more academic than me. I can tell from your fantastic writings, mm-hmm. um, and so I have a lot to learn from you. And Kristen, without you, this would not be getting aired. So you're no small-time person in all of this. You're a, you know we, none of us are small- time in any of this, but together, we bring the gifts and the talents as best we can and share them with everybody else. So to all of you, my three musketeers, I love you.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Love you too. Thank, Thank you. We're all of you. <laughs> so now we're, we're at the top of the hour and we're going to do this um, as often as we all can from our four corners of the world, but I want to make sure that our listeners know how to find what they need to find in order to um, read educate themselves and know what you do. So Christine, will you start with sharing how people can um, can find out about you and your work?
3: Yes. okay, well, you can find me on narcissisticbehavior.net. And on my website, if you haven't already downloaded my free chapter of my book, it would be very helpful to me if you would go into the site if you want it and because you have to sign in. Um, leave me your name and your email address, and you, you'll get the free chapter immediately. But the better thing is you're on a list, then, so I'm able to then send out and tell you exactly when the book will be released. It will be next week, but at the, today I don't know quite. The book can, the physical book, will be on uh, Amazon. Wonderful. So you'll be able to come through my website, and there'll be a link that'll take you directly to Amazon to get. To download the book, I will also have the ebook available and that will be through my, my again my website. but for anybody on the list um, because you have trusted me and you have you know those people who have downloaded my chapter who showed a, a, an interest in knowing more, um, I will be offering you 20 percent discount of the ebook but it'll only be for the people who have signed up. Wonderful. So that's my little gift back to everybody mm. who has signed up. The big gift. And, and it's been it's been huge. To, so um, it's been a huge response. And so thank you all very much for that photo confidence in me. And I want to give, give you back a little bit of a, a gift to you. So is that all I I think that's all I need to say. Wonderful. <laughs> Michelle?
2: I guess the the easiest way to find me would be on the Facebook forum that I set up. It was about a year ago I set it up, and it's narcissistic Vin- narcissistic victim syndrome, hope for victims and survivors. And I try to keep um, a lot of up to date information. It's really just a, a forum I created to to make you know one place where I can try and connect survivors to as much accurate information as possible. So I frequently have. Postings from from Andrea from Christine from I've got um, I've got some articles there from Jane McGregor I've got uh, a link on that site that has uh, mental health professionals who have uh, We have found who are experienced with helping uh, survivors of narcissistic abuse and I've got my guess is maybe 24 people on there right now I've got it broken down by country and then by state and I have spoken with and or checked the license status of every person that is on that list. I'm scared to death I'm gonna I'm scared to death I'm gonna put somebody on there who is not really who they say they are. And even though I've been able to talk with these people and check their licenses, it, it doesn't mean that there can't be, you know, a predatory person in there, but I you know, there's there's only so much I can do to check that. But at least at the start, I mean like Tanya Cusack from Australia. Uh, she's a person I think all four of us have kind of touched base with, and she's got a lot of great stuff going on too, uh, but there are a lot of people on that list, so that's a great link to look at if you're trying to find a mental health professional. Um, Carol McBride's on there. She's also got got a lot of great information. So anyhow, that's, that's my spiel.
1: And Andrea.
4: Hi, yes. um, The best way to contact me would probably be through my website, which is my name, Andrea Schneider, and then my uh, credential, lcsw.com. And I'm writing articles for goodtherapy.org, so I have a profile through Good Therapy, which has a listing of the articles I've written. Um, With time, though, I will be blogging more off of my own website, so... That's probably the best way to to contact me, and there's there's a way you can connect with me via email through the website andreaschneiderlcsw.com. Thank you.
1: Thank you all, and this is Kristen Walker, and um, I want to let all of our providers, since most of our audience are providers, um, slowly being eclipsed by survivors now too, and then of course business owners in the mental health field and volunteers, um, you can always go to everythingehr.com, Um, or you can go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com, and that will list um, all of the shows that we do. I also have um, some articles, and there will be an article about this show that lists um, the therapists there as well. Um, And part of my job, since my bend is from the business world, is to make sure that mental health providers are using software that was created by an actual clinician, Um, and a degreed software engineer, and that their entire mission is um, to make mental health treatment easier um, as a provider so that patients are provided with um, better care. And in order to do that, we must do like we are saying to do with therapists, make sure that these people have credentials, make sure that who you're dealing with in every aspect of your life including your business, have the credentials to back them up. Um, and also, just because someone has a credential doesn't mean you aren't dealing with someone from the dark triad. But um, like we've said on the show, um, watch for the signs, um, and we'll continue to do more shows about this. But again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, thank
3: you all. Lovely to speak with you all again. i
0: passive-aggressive.
2: Be surprised when I don't hate on you. Girl.
0: After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.